KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzet Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Chet Kislev, Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Vayetze, and I am your host, Jonathan Snowbell. The Erev Shabbat program is Leilui Nishmat Shlomi Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. I attended a, a shear by Rav Samet. Rav Samet is a lecturer in the Herzog College here in Yeshivat Haaretzion, and he also lectures in other yeshivot, as well as having published several books on Parshat Shavua and on Eliyahu and Elisha. And several years ago, I attended his class regularly on Parshat Shavua. Without going into great detail, he had a very specific literary methodology to which he applied to the stories in Tanakh in general and within this framework to the stories in the Parshiot HaShavua, the weekly portions, in which he would essentially determine what is the unit of study. In other words, a Parshat Shavua might not be a unit, it might be smaller than that, it might be larger than that. And he claimed that the more or less the middle of the story, of the portion, was some sort of breaking point, turning point, or point of... Turning point? Do we say that already? Okay. Now, I attended this year, and uh, as uh, methodolo- methodologies tend to be when we're too uh, religious, dogmatic about them... Not flexible enough, we sometimes will come to places where it just doesn't fit so well. And so every uh, class I uh, attended with a very critical eye to see if this worked or didn't work. And at times it worked and at times it didn't work. And at times perhaps it appeared to work. And at other times, looking over it again, it was like, hmm, didn't work so well if I think about it the second time, if I try to express it over to another person, if I try to tell it over to them, because I can't convince them, I realize that I'm having difficulty convincing myself. And I very very well recall what he said about Parshat Vayetze, and if I think about it, not many Parshat stick out as well as this one. Parshat Vayetze is one long unit, though the whoever non-Jewish people separated the Tanakh into chapters, Prakim, and we have several Prakim here. In fact, we start in the middle of a parak. Pasuk Yud is the beginning of the Parsha, and Pasuk La- Parak Lamed, Parak Lamed Aleph. I think we even skip into Parak Lamed Bet, the last Pasuk. Uh, it is apparent that this is one story, one very long story, unusually long story, from the beginning of Vayetze till the end of Vayetze. In other words, from... Yaakov leaving Eretz Yisrael to Yaakov returning to Eretz Yisrael. Both uh, the beginning of the Parsha begins with Yaakov seeing angels. The end of the Parsha, Yaakov once again sees Machane Elohim, Malachi Elohim, angels once again. And if we are students of the actual way the Torah is written, we'll see that the Torah is written without any breaks. From the beginning of the Parsha till the end of the Parsha, there are no breaks. There's a break at the beginning of the parsha where Vayetze is, denoting a new section, and there is a break before Parashat Vayishlach, denoting a new section there. Where is the middle of the parsha? The middle of the parsha is roughly, or precisely, I don't remember exactly, often there were 
precise breaks in the Parsha, middles of the Parsha, and often approximate middles of the Parsha. The middle of the Parsha in Rav Samachir was the point where Yaakov has given birth to 11 of his sons and Dina, and he turns to Lavan and he says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go back to my, my, my land, my place. I want my wives and my children. I earned them. Now let me go. And then, of course, the continuation of the story is that Yaakov, um, Levan tries to convince Yaakov to stay, work for a salary now, you can work for yourself. In fact, Yaakov does. He makes a fortune, as the Pasuk says, He had much, much a large flock, and he had servants, maidservants, donkeys, camels. Yaakov became very rich as a result of this. And then finally he does go back to Eretz Yisrael, leaving Lavan without telling him, etc. Rav Salman made the following claim. First have the Parsha, Yaakov Avinu for the first 14 years is justified in being in Haran. He's in Haran, first of all, because his mother sent him. And his mother sent him for two purposes, A, to run away from Esav, and B, to get married. And... So the first fourteen years were justified. He had to get he had to work seven years for Rachel, but he didn't get Rachel, so now he had to work another seven years for Rachel. So fourteen years he worked for Rachel. Within those fourteen years he gave birth to all his children, except for Binyamin. And now as a proud man he faces Lavan and he says, I would like to go, please let me go. It's right time for me to go. And what happens? He decides to stay. And in, in Rav Samit's mind, Yaakov was not justified in trying to stay, in deciding to stay. Why was he staying for? He should have gone back to his homeland, to his mother, to his father. Uh, according to Chazal, really Yaakov missed out on seeing his mother again because he stayed this extra time. In addition to the t- traveling time that he got caught up in Eretz Yisrael on the way back to Hebron where his father and mother were living, In this time, Yaakovin was focused on making money. And Rav Samuel will point out to you that he no longer had any children in this time period. He will have one more son when he gets into Eretz Yisrael, but suddenly a man who within a seven-year span had 12 children, 11 sons and Dina, nothing. Nothing's happening anymore. He's making a lot of money, but no more children. And a man who, at the beginning of his travels, when he was alone with just a stick and no wealth, is only dreaming about God, and he's having a dream about God, and God is talking to him from the top of the the um, the ladder. Now, when he dreams, he he dreams, as he describes, he's dreaming about the sheep. And and this is Yaakov, Yaakov, who stayed in. In Chutzlaretz, outside of Israel, when he should have gone back, and for what reasons to stay to make money, Yaakov Avinu is now on a much lower level than had he left at the right time after 14 years and not after 20 years. Additionally, when he was ready to leave after 14 years, he turns to Lavan, faces him as a proud man, and says, I'd like to leave. And when he leaves after 20 years, he sneaks out, as the pasuk 
keeps on saying over and over again that he stole Lavan's heart, and stealing is not a good thing, even if it's not as extreme as actually stealing someone's money. But we're talking about something that the Torah is describing in a negative term. This is not a respectable way to leave in any case. We don't want to have to run out of the house in the middle of the night. He had to leave in a bad way. And when he left, he was ultimately responsible for his beloved wife's death because he ended up cursing whoever stole the trophim. And indeed, uh, his wife stole the trophim and his wife died at his curse. It's possible to also add here, which I'm not sure if um, Rav Summit did add, add at the time, that staying those extra six years were allowing his sons to grow up in a household while until now the oldest might have been six, seven years old. Now they're leaving this household, which is full of Avodah Zarah, when they're 12, 13 years old, 10 years old, and certainly an age where you're far more impressionable and picking up more. And we know that when Yaakov arrived in Eretz Yisrael, he has to indeed tell his family to get rid of all their different trafim and psalim that they're carrying around with them. These boys, these young men, now instead of leaving Lavan's household at the age of 6 and lower, they left Lavan's household at the age of 12, 11, 10, 9, an age where they were probably already influenced by their grandfather. That was what Rav Samet's claim was. And then I asked myself, and what was waiting for Yaakov and Eretz Yisrael? Let's see. He got to Eretz Yisrael. He met up with his brother, who he thought was going to completely wipe him out. It ended up okay. Maybe no points against Rav Summit. He continued on to Shechem. And Shechem... His sons, justifiably, not justifiably, certainly not to his great happiness, wiped out the city of Shechem. He's very upset about this. He moves on. According to Chazal, he finds out that his mother passes away. He moves on. Rachel, his beloved wife, gives birth to his last son, Binyamin, but at the cost of her death. We move on. Whatever that means, which in the simple pshat, there was some sort of bad situation between Reuven and Yaakov's wife, Bilha. And then finally we get to Parshat Vayeshev. And here Chazal tell us, Vayeshev Yaakov, Bikesh Yaakov, Yaakov is finished with all the people that he had to put up with, with Lavan for 20 years, and Esav, and this and that, and Shechem. Now he just wants to live a quiet life, seeing his sons grow into men, take over the family business, living in Eretz Yisrael. And what happens? Yosef is, is, uh, Yosef and his brothers are in conflict with each other. Yosef is sold into slavery. Yosef is gone. So is this the Groysim Etziah? Pardon the Yiddish. Was this the great find that was awaiting Yaakov when he used to come into Eretz Yisrael? Oh! In Galut, everything was bad for him because he was running after the money. But when he came to Eretz Yisrael and he was going after ideals, then everything worked out. It's pretty hard to make an argument as to where it was worse. Certainly as far as the Torah depicts it to us. 
I mean, you can talk about year spans, and you can go into details here, and you can wonder, but the way the Torah depicts it to us, six years of Yaakov spent extra in in Haran, in Chutzlaretz, and perhaps he should have been going back. He made a lot, a lot of money, which certainly is going to be helpful for him in raising a family and making his family into a nation. He didn't have more children, but frankly, we are, we're all growing up on this notion that there are supposed to be 12 tribes, and Rashi tells us throughout the parasha that everybody knew there's going to be 12 tribes. All right, we could know this or not, but Yaakov had 11 children already. He had one more. This is far more than any of his forefathers had. So this is the big problem, that he didn't have more children? And look what happens to him in Eretz Yisrael. This is the great promise. I want to read, with the time that's remaining to us, Compare two psukim from our parsha, two promises of Hashem. Ani Hashem elokei Avraham avicha velokei Yitzchak haaretz asher ata shochev ala lacha et nena uzarecha. I am God, the God of your father, the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzchak. The land that you are lying on will be for you. I will give to you and to your seed. Your seed is going to grow like the dust of the earth, and you're going to spread in every direction. I will be with you. Promise of the land, promise of a great seed. I will be with you. I want to go to the end of the parsha, or towards the end of the parsha, where God appears to Yaakov and tells him to go back to Eretz Yisrael. I will be with you. Go back to the land of your fathers and to your birthland, and I will be with you. The end. The end of the promise. The end of the words of Hashem to Yaakov. Where is the promise of you'll be rich, you'll be this, you'll be safe, you'll be good, you'll have gun aid, and everything will be great for you. You will live in Shalva, you will live in peace. There's no promise like that. And perhaps this is the point. The point is, is that we want from God ultimately is to be with God. For me, the closeness to God is what is good. We have many people out there today selling off belief in God to the masses as a utilitarian need you will get this, you will get that, I will pray for you, I will daven for you, I will give you a bracha, you will go to Gan Eden if you vote for my party. Everything, everything will be good. Everything will be fine, everything will be dandy. That's not what Yaakov was promised. Yaakov was promised, and the center point of his promise is, Ve'yeimach. Yeah, he was promised his seed will be great and his seed will, will get the land. But his seed, who's his seed and when will they get the land? That's far down the road. Yaakov Avinu is not going to see Amisrael the nation. Yaakov is not going to see, and he's certainly not going to see Amisrael the nation inheriting the land. His family lived in Eretz Yisrael. They inherit the land? Not so. They did not. So this promise that he's getting out of God is a promise for a very, very long distance in the future. But what is 
the promise for right now, I will be with you. I will be with you. We have to understand the ramifications of those words. Because I will be with you does not necessarily mean you will be rich and happy and your children will be, will be at peace with each other and they will be healthy and everything will be okay. And you won't have wars and you will only have peace. And you'll have water and you'll have food and you'll have everything you need. Eyeimach means I will be with you. I will be with you through thick and thin. If you go back to Eretz Yisrael, I will be with you. I am not promising you what will be. There are many different powers that are moving around. There is the behavior of your children, the behavior of you. There is no guarantees. There are no guarantees. There is no specific guarantee as to what will be. There's one guarantee. I will be with you. And this is what we want from God. And when we commit ourselves to a lifestyle of Torah and mitzvot, which includes living in Eretz Yisrael, keeping the mitzvot, keeping the Torah, learning Torah, what we are guaranteed then is, I will be with you. It does not necessarily mean that everything will be a smooth ride and everything will be a piece of cake. It does not necessarily mean riches and it does not necessarily mean happiness. There might be hardship, but a person who is dedicated to God and has dedicated his life to God, the Torah says, I will be with you. And that means for us that through thick and thin, when times are hard perhaps, and we don't want them to be hard, but they may be hard, and if they are hard, we can be guaranteed that our number one supporter next to us then will be God. Because we have brought Him into our lives, so He is there for us. And He will help us deal. What is the outcome? No promises. One promise, I will be with you. And this is something that we have to educate ourselves towards. Not thinking about what is, what am I going to get from being religious? What am I going to get from being Torah observant? What are you going to get? You're going to get God on your side. God is going to be with you. God is going to be there because you have brought Him into your life. That's it. Now you have to deal with life as the cards are dealt to you. With God on your side. Halavai, that we should all be privileged to bring God into our lives, to dedicate ourselves to God's ideology as He has dictated to us in the Torah, learning Torah, keeping Torah and mitzvot, living in Eretz Yisrael. And halavai, we should be zoche to ve'yeimach, God will be with us through thick and thin. Shabbat Shalom.